Welcome to the Intellectual Property Society podcast. Today, our guest is Praveer Gupta, a patent practitioner who's had a fair amount of experience in working with mechanical and information technology patent applications, as well as small businesses in general. So thanks for taking the time to meet with us today, Praveer. Thanks, Patrick. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Can you give me some thoughts about what a small enterprise, small high-tech enterprise generally, should consider in initiating an intellectual property strategy uh, for their firm? Sure. Um, I actually deal with quite a few uh, small to medium business-sized enterprises. And uh, one of the things that they can and should do is act timely. So it happens more than not that they actually have the idea, they considered patenting, but other priorities take over. And they usually come to us by the time everything's public. And as you know, more than a year, if something's public, then you kind of lose the right to file a patent on it in the US. And in most countries, you actually kind of lose the right to file almost immediately if you make something public. So they come to us a little late and uh, they also have, uh, sometimes they even have some competitors sending them a letter saying they should stop what they're doing because they're infringing a patent. So timely action is the first thing I would say that they need to be aware when they're in a business of technology, they should definitely be considering patents as a part of their business strategy. Do you have thoughts about how uh, small companies should manage their employees and their consultants regarding uh, securing the firm's rights to the intellectual property that's being developed in their uh, processes? Absolutely. I think it's fundamental that when they start, they, um, they have these agreements in place, whether it's employees or it's contractors. And let me pick each of them one by one. With employees, the agreement should, first thing should have is an assignment of all intellectual property that is generated. That's a key, um, that's a key clause that should be there. Because in many cases, you know, especially in startups, if say something goes wrong, some employees leave. And that happens uh, very often. If it is nebulous as to who owns the IP, that can be a death knell for a patent or its rights. So most companies that I work with, I make them have the employees assign any IP during their course of employment or using company resources uh, be assigned to the company. That way companies' rights are secured even if the inventors themselves are not available later on for signing the documents or anything like that. So that's one key thing with the employees. Now with the contractors, as you know, um, one part is about confidentiality, right? That they must keep things confidential, but the bigger part becomes is it should be clear as to who will own the IP generated during the course of engagement. And it's important to specify works made for hire or not. And so the such simple language one included, it at least assures a company that, the, that any rights that they may have uh, are not uh, lost unduly. You're reminding me that a very common piece of advice I give to startups is that if you're having some software written, do it as an arm's length process. Don't ask a buddy of yours to write some software that's gonna be core to your product or service or firm. It's fine to use a friend, but make it under contract so that you've got the copyright 
assignable and pledged to be assigned to the corporation at the very least to get the copyright to the software. And of course, you also want the inventive work to be assignable to the corporation as well. Have you seen uh, more uh, fundamental issues or other similar issues regarding uh, polluting the uh, earliest IP of a company with non-participants in the company? Actually, it's very interesting, Patrick, that you mention the situation. I'm thinking, I'm, I'm pretty sure that there are many such situations that happen. Um, and to that end, arm's length relationship is a very important uh, distinction for anybody. Um, let's try to think, uh, do I, I've seen plenty of cases where one of the core inventors left and they refused to sign any documents for the patent. And uh, just because they had a good, well-drafted employment agreement that it actually served as a proxy for proper assignment and declaration. Seen that, I haven't quite witnessed um, that kind of situation where it became nebulous and then there was a contention. Likely because there was nothing left to patent then, once that happened. I often suggest that the entrepreneurs founding the company don't get overly focused just on patents, that IP is much more than patents. There's intellectual capital, there's things that you can't really own, yet they are valuable and you possess them in the sense that you can use them. And then there's also goodwill and there's copyright, trade secret, trademark. Um, I, I know, what's the last time you ended up advising or what's a common situation where you would advise a stronger trade secret program versus a patent program? Uh, certainly, there's actually, there's a lot goes down. In fact, I was just today um, sending an email to a client. The two considerations for patent versus trade secret is one, whether what you have, can it be reverse engineered by people, right? And whether what you have, it's a method or technology or product, can an infringement be detected about it? Now, these two, answer to these two questions uh, weigh in heavily on whether you would go the trade secret route or you would go the patent route. And there's a third route, which is publish, that you will just publish defensively so that nobody else can actually um, file a patent and then come back and uh, stop you. But to your point about the decision essentially for, for patent is, can I detect infringement? And if I cannot, then it's a very unlikely scenario that a patent is valuable, if I can't. Um, as to, but there's other consideration is, can somebody reverse engineer it? Um, and if they can't, then you might just want to keep, keep it a trade secret because yes, you have an input and you have an output, but what's happening in between is a secret, then there is no need to tell anybody about it. But then you also must separate from your agreements of employment or contractors make a separate agreement about a trade secret that every party that is privy to that information signs and that it's not necessary um, but it really helps to have well-defined documented process internally that you have assigned and identified something as a trade secret so so i would definitely go for trade secrets in that scenario but in the scenarios where it's nebulous say 
you and it's, these are both questions that I asked actually can be correlated. Well, if you have something that you can reverse engineer, you should probably be able to detect infringement or vice versa. But in many cases, it's not that, not true. So when possible, I would say, go ahead and patent something because it still has a notional value for you. Um, but yeah, if there are situations where there's no way you can detect infringement, right? Then, um, and people can reverse engineer it, then definitely go ahead and publish it. Because then at least it'll be prior art and uh, people cannot come after you with a patent on the same thing. Uh, all other situations consider uh, filing a patent. Your comment on the documentation regarding commitment to keeping information trade secret on the part of the person to whom the information is being disclosed that reminds me that one of the most common errors in non-disclosure agreements, just bread and butter non-disclosure agreements, is that everyone signs the agreements and then they stick them in a cabinet and they think, okay, we're, we're covered now, you know? So <laughs> what, what dangers do you see in doing that and getting the initial signature and then, then saying, oh, we've got nothing to worry about now? It's interesting. I, you know, uh, you mentioned a point I have not really considered that at length, but I think there are dangers now that you mentioned, because the common off-the-shelf NDAs or confidentiality agreements talk about things like things that are not available or become available no, or become known to somebody um, through no fault of theirs or by a third party. Those kind of things really do not acknowledge the trade secret nature of things and that there may be a material harm done to a business. Um, there are multiple other things that will go into uh, the consideration, but having a separate trade secret agreement is actually an identification of something as a trade secret versus a generic confidential information, which is more suited towards, say, if you and I are discussing a technology towards a joint venture, that does not necessarily classify as a trade secret, right? Some of it may, some of it may not, but you cannot... Uh, a trade secret is something much more defined. It is very clear, the meets and bounds are clear, application is clear. So there is easy establishment of material harm, but otherwise there isn't. It's just generic confidential information can be something like your client list. Well, that's very different from a trade secret. So I would, off the top of my head, that's what I would think that confidentiality agreements serve a purpose, but they don't replace a trade secret agreement uh, cordon, if you will. Understood, and I agree with you completely. Praveer, do you have any last comments? Anything else you'd like to cover before we sign off? Oh, yeah. I think one of the key things for all small businesses or individuals, for that matter, to consider is that they need, when they have an idea and something that is innovative, um, they should consider talking to a professional. Um, a lot of times you lose valuable IP and a lot of times people tend to think, oh, this is very obvious. I'm gonna go to the market and see if I can sell it. But in many cases, you can actually have some sort of protection going in and that can be invaluable. And just very simple idea comes to mind or example comes to mind is of uh, somebody who uh, developed a product that goes into the hair for women 
and makes their um, hair looks more voluminous. It's a very simple um, device which has been in the market, but she had a specific design with a specific aspect ratio. Now, should, eventually we ended up filing a design patent for her and I think it's gonna help her, but she would have known had she not spoken to us. And so I think it's, a, it's an important thing to consult a professional, even if it costs you a little money, that as they say, right? Timely legal advice is never costly. It, I think, um, makes all the sense to at least speak to someone uh, before you go out and disclose your idea to the public. Well, thank you, Praveer. And uh, thank you for joining us today. Uh, you'll note that Praveer's contact information is provided with this uh, podcast. And I look forward to having the chance to talk with you all soon. Thank you. Thanks, Patrick. Pleasure talking to you.